0: Okay, so we're on 20, we're on 20 and yesterday was basically like a real wrap up of what we've said so far until now, bringing together the concept of what is Klippa, how do we break Klippa, what's the purpose of miracles um, in breaking the Klippa and we really did have all of that summarized yesterday and we applied it to the general plagues of Mitzrayim, right? That the purpose of Hashem coming to Mitzrayim and Moshe confronting Parai was not for the sake of the Jews leaving or for the sake of the Jews getting some sort of wake-up call. It was purely for the sake of being able to extract this box that had fallen into Egypt. And Parai represents that clip of Egypt like in its general form, right? Because Pari saw himself as a god, which is like the ultimate form of Klippa, denying the existence that God even made you. Pari claimed that the Nile was his. He wasn't dependent on anything else. And he's compared to the great serpent that's in the Nile. As we're going to see, he is the serpent in this um, snake in this scenario. And we discussed already at the end of the class about the significance of the stick, right? based on everything we've learned until now about the process of kadusha, of holiness, of God's light and energy flowing down and then ultimately giving life and sustaining Klippa, that which denies the existence of that which is sustaining it, we said that this is represented by the stick, right? Because the stick starts off at the beginning here and it ends at the bottom, right? And the idea is that there is this stick, there's this flow that goes all the way from the beginning, from the highest point of holiness, where there's just unity and revelation, and it's very, very clear who's in charge and who is creating everything, all the way down to the bottom, to the lowest point, where you already don't feel God's existence. But there's, it's a stick, it's a line, it's a, it's a river, whatever you want to call it, that's, it's all connected. And that's really what we call Seder Ishtar Shalot, right? The order of descent, as we see here, that we've been speaking about a lot and will continue to speak about. Which is detailed to us from Kabbalah. This whole concept of these sephiris and how they work together, and all of the tsimtsumim, the contractions, and what we called the parses, right? The curtains, the concealments. They work in a way that they take God's light down in a way of a line, like a stick, and in a way, in a way where we can trace it back to the beginning. Um, so one of, I think I mentioned this before, that the the. Uh, one of the huge, the biggest chiddush and that novelty that um, Kabbalah introduced, that really did shake up the whole world, because they had been going according to the philosophers until the point where it was re- revealed, is this idea that there's actually a connection between creation and between Creator, and that is called sederisdalshin. That we call God, godliness. It's not God Himself, but it's not a creation. It's called godliness, and it's this channel, it's this line that can, we are able to trace ourselves right here, right now, back to God. And this is a tremendous, tremendous gift that God has given us in the form of Kabbalah and Hasidus, where we're able to see that in even a logical way, we can begin to understand how something infinite and one and perfect can turn into something many and limited and imperfect, which is Klippa, which is the world that we live in. And, and this is represented by the stick. This is what the stick represents. It represents this connection from the highest point to the lowest point, but it's all one stick. It's all one thing. It's all God. From the highest point to the lowest point, it's all God sustaining everything. And that's what the stick represents. And then we said the snake represents the klipa. So the bottom, bottom, bottom of the stick, where it already doesn't see itself as being part of the stick, as getting its sustenance and its energy and its life from God, that we would call the snake. And we know that the snake is the creature at the beginning of creation that caused Adam and Chava to sin. It was like this representation of the underworld, of the clippers that lived below the surface, that came up and convinced Adam and Chava to deny the the command of God, which is Klippa, right? So the snake absolutely represents this just in um, in a general way as well. And we see throughout Tanakh actually incidences with snakes, like lots of interesting different things with plagues or snakes and things with snakes. Um, and, and this is usually, this is really what, what, what it represents. So that's what we, we ended off last class with, was just defining the snake and the stick according to Hasidus and based on everything that we've learned until now. And now we're going to talk about the significance of the stick turning into the snake, turning back into the stick. We'll talk a little bit about the magicians and their sticks and stakes as well. And we'll get into it. So page 20, right? Yeah. So we finished off on the second paragraph of page 20 where we summarized saying that when there is a great revelation of divine light that transcends all the concealments, the clipper becomes utterly nullified. This was the purpose of the wonders. So this is an important distinction that I don't know if I emphasized, which is that in order to reveal... The godliness within the klipa, you need to do that by revealing a level of God that transcends the godliness that's in the klipa. I don't, does that make sense? Because God, as He descends down into klipa into this world, is still God, but it's not enough to just say, "Oh, there's God here." You need to reveal an aspect of God that transcends both of these levels, that transcends the klipa, that transcends the light that's trapped in the klipa, in order to shake it up. Does that make sense? And and this is and and this is a an idea that we, we did again learn about in the Sicha previously, and uh, that at the end of the day there's this concept, there's this idea called Atmos. And when Atzmos is revealed, it shows the truth that there's something higher than Klippa, there's something even higher than Kedusha, something higher than good and bad, and right and wrong, and mitzvahs and averas, and that's Hashem Himself. And when Hashem Himself is revealed, everything else loses its power, totally. And this was what happened with the wonders. So the wonders wasn't just saying, by the way, uh, like Hashem is involved here. It was Hashem coming with such a force and such a power and revealing such a high level of himself that that is what caused the clipper to become utterly nullified. And actually an interesting example born in for this idea is that um, a king has many ministers and they're in charge of very different things. And sometimes those things contradict like le- the finance minister and the global warming, let's say, like the environmental minister. Usually those two things are going are gonna to not go hand in hand, right? So there'll be ministers that kind of within, within themselves have all these arguments and like these fundamental problems with each other and with each other's causes. But at the end of the day, both of their causes are the king's cause. So what happens when two ministers get into a huge argument? They're brought before the king, and when they're brought before the king, they are overwhelmed and overpowered by the majesty, by the importance and the power of the king. And then they're able to resolve their issues because you reveal that there's something higher than both of them, than both of their small tasks. And that's the idea here, that we have Klippa, we have Kadusha. They both have a say, they both have a role, but then we have Hashem, as he is the king of all, as he transcends all and is the source of everything. And that is the aspect level of Hashem that was revealed with the miracles, with the Maifsin. They were very large wonders. They were makas that were on a very large scale. And it was Hashem coming into the picture in a way that subjugated the klippa because it was coming from beyond even the source of klippa. Okay, so that's what we end, that's just the last paragraph we ended off with. Um, the whole definition of klippa is a shell, concealing the truth of Hashem's presence everywhere and in everything. Therefore, by revealing the truth of Hashem and removing that concealment, then automatically the clipper will vanish. This is like a shadow whose entire existence is simply the absence of light. When light shines in the place of shadow, then it automatically disappears. That's a very, um, that's a very cool example actually. Um, I've heard of the ad- example of darkness, that doc- darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness doesn't have, you can't like punch the darkness or fight the darkness or quantify it. Darkness is just the absence of light, so you destroy darkness by shining a light. But it's bringing the idea of a shadow, which, is, which I think is actually more poignant because a shadow has a form, right? A shadow takes on a shape and a form and it can even move. But the moment you shine a light on the shadow, it completely disappears. So that is, um, that is very cool. And that goes back to that original idea that we spoke about, that Klippa at the end of the day is an illusion. It's darkness. Darkness doesn't exist in and of itself. It's just the absence of something else. And so we can fill that absence with the truth then it vanishes. So the fact that evil things don't always instantly vanish upon being confronted with divine revelation is because Hashem actually gives them the ability to exist and fight against holiness. This Hashem does in order that we should have free will to choose to serve Him despite obstacles. However, if Hashem decides to remove that ability, then their evil or unholy dimension would instantly be nullified upon being confronted with the truth of Hashem Similar to how a dream vanishes upon a person awakening from sleep. So, klipa does have power. And that's kind of what we're going to get into in the next stage here. Klipa has a reality. It has a power. But that power was given to Hashem in order to create the opportunity for us to have free will. The less klipa, the less free will we have, right? Angels are in a world. There's still klipa in the upper worlds. But much, much, much less. So, angels don't have free will. And so however much they serve God and however perfect their service of God is and passionate it is, it's never as deep as we've spoken about previously or doesn't have as much integrity as our service of God because we're choosing it. And we're only able to choose it because of the Klippa. The Klippa serves a function. The Klippa is not all negative. But we need to always remember that the Klippa gets all of its light and its energy and its power from Hashem. I think I'm not so familiar with like, I'm really not with Christian like ideas, but I have heard this idea that like, there's God and there's like the devil and that the devil has like a real power. Um, I, I, that's what I've heard and, and that's like absolutely, absolutely not what we believe. We believe in this concept of the devil, of demons, of negative forces, right? Of parois, of klepa, but we, they absolutely never, 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 um, they can't ever do anything against the will of God everything that they're doing is because God is, wants them to do exactly what they're doing. And we spoke about this briefly about Parai, about all of these great kings and leaders that rose up and they, they, they tortured or destroyed or murdered the Jewish people. At the end of the day, they did that only because, first of all, it had been prophesied that it was already going to happen because God told them to do it. They're punished because they didn't have to be the person to do it. It could have been somebody else. Like, Parai, so... When it's, when it's brought about power, it's brought that he went beyond what he had to do when it came to enslaving the Jewish people. Like, there's enslaving the Jewish people, and then there's bathing in the blood of the Jewish babies every day, right? So, like, two different levels of things. Um, but there are other kings that came that destroyed the Beis HaMikdash that were punished, even though Hashem predicted that Beis HaMikdash is going to be destroyed. And then Hashem causes everything to happen, but they didn't have to be the one to do it. And we do have instances and cases of, uh, I think, one famous one where a king... Hashem commanded him to go and to destroy the base of Megiddo, and he said no, and he ran away. And um, I think he ended up dying. I don't remember the entire story, but, but there was still an opportunity. Everyone has free choice to say no, but it was going to happen at some point. So even the biggest clipper and the biggest obstacle and the biggest evil at the end of the day is pushed into place and acts only on, um, on the word of Hashem. But it's so powerful that sometimes it's able to convince itself and others that it's it doesn't need God at all. And so this is what the entire first sign, what the stake and the stick was all about. That's what we're gonna see now inside. Page 20 on the bottom. The Alze Haya Mira Harishon. I think we read this already, actually. Yeah. Right? This is what the this is what the stick, this is what the first Sign represented. Oh, represented. So we already defined what the stick is, right, and what the snake is. We said that the stick is from the same word as drawing down, also shevet, and also mata, the two common words for stick in the Torah, represent this idea of drawing down, and it's the concept of God's light as it draws down. The term for this, the Kabbalistic term for this is kav, which literally means a line this line of godly energy that descends down, 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 level by level by level from the highest point to the lowest point. And that's represented by the stick. And then we said Tan in the snake represents the source of the Klippa of Egypt, which was represented by Paro, who was called the great serpent that dwells in the Nile. Okay, so what were they showing by turning the snake into a the stick into a snake? The Hera, the Moshe, Moshe and Aaron were showing him, so they were showing Parai, who represents the Keeper of Egypt. how a stick turns into a snake. To know this means, shemepchinas are that this level, an aspect of light, duktusha, and the drawing down of holiness, hanikramate, which is called a stick, it draws down its life the haqium and its existence latanin latanin to the snake makar haqip is the source of klippa kasov as it is written yordais, that her feet descend to the place of death umal khosai bakol, mashallah that his kingship has dominion over everything so these two verses are referring to the level of what we call malchus or kingship the first verse refers to malchus in the feminine Since Malchus is the mother of creation, nurturing all the created beings, the feet of Malchus are a reference to the lowest level of the life and light force coming from Malchus, like the feet are the lowest part of the body. They descend to a place of death, meaning the klipa, which is spiritually dead. Thus, from Malchus, there comes spiritual life that ultimately becomes the life of klipa as well. And this we discussed when we spoke about the rivers, that when they flow through the Garden of Eden, which is in Malchus, and come out the other end, they turn into a source for klipa. The second verse from Tehillah mentions that Hashem's kingship has mashallah, dominion, rulership over everything. The idea of a dominator is that he rules by force. Hashem is the creator and king who deserves that all of his creations serve him willingly. There should be no need to force his rulership over them. Nonetheless, the Klipper refuses to willingly serve Hashem. It is only regarding the Klipper that Hashem shows himself as a dominator, since in the realm of holiness everything accepts his kingship willingly. Thus, Klepa receives life from the attributes of Dominion, which is an extension of the main attribute of Kingship. So, these two verses are teaching us this idea of how God's light is given to Klepa; descends down and is given to Klepa. Ella, however, that this process of the stick turning into a snake, of God's holiness and light sustaining Klepa, it happens because of this order of descent. And because of many, many, many contractions, right? We spoke about what Sim Tsumima before. It's a process of God's light hitting a vessel. And that the innermost aspect of the light, the truth that exists in the light, that it's from God gets left behind. And when it goes through the vessel, through the parsa, through the screen, only the external part of the light comes through, the existence of the light again and again and again. So we're filtering out again and again the truth of the light, which is that it's all from God and there's nothing other than Him, and we're only leaving behind the residue of the light, the external aspect, which is the light as it feels an existence unto itself. And so, as the light goes down through all of these contractions, it ends up sustaining the Klippah. <inaudible> to the point that we can turn a stick into a snake the source of godly light and energy in the world, into a snake, into something that represents itself, that denies its source. Because through these many, many contractions, it conceals the abundance, the flow, from this level of matter of a stick, so much, at is to the point that it's able to be his havos bechinas hatanim harovitz godol harovitzbatohiarov to create the great snake that slithers in this in the river in the Nile, which represents Parai, the Aymer, and he can say Lia Iri Vaniyasani Canal. The river is mine and I created myself. So this entire sign, this entire miracle, was literally a message. And it was the message that was a prelude to all of the messages that just got stronger and stronger and stronger in their message, which was, yes, you exist. But you only exist because God sustains you constantly. You're a snake. You have your own form. You have your own power. But that snake comes from a stick. So, the, so what was Aaron, what was, Moshe, um, that this, That the snake, who you are, comes from God. And is constantly sustained from God. And then afterwards, they showed him how the snake turns back into a stick. And also to the point, that Aaron's sticks swallowed up their sticks. So what happened? They came in. They brought sticks. They said, look, I'm going to show you how a stick turns into a snake. So they turn a stick into a snake what's the message there we're going to show you how you your power um, all comes from us from the stick it all comes from God and then what did Pari say okay I'm gonna bring my magicians and they're gonna show you how they can turn their sticks into snakes also and this okay is coming now from my Understanding. So take take or leave this next thing because you did ask me, I was thinking about it, and then I learned something else about parai in a different place. It's brought that Parai is sourced from Toyo, from the world of Toyo, which makes sense because as we learned, all of Clipa is sourced from the world of Toyo, From the great, great sparks that flew away because the vessels shattered, and then there were sparks that were stuck to the vessels that crashed down into this world. That's parai. Parai comes from a very, very, very lofty place within within from, from God, a very high place. Higher even than the source of the Jews. You can, you can, you can even argue because the source of the Jewish people is in Chokhmah Vatzilas. The soul is sourced higher, but the Jewish people as a whole. And so, Pari comes from this world that's like really, really lofty. That's where Tifa comes from. The Jews come from here. Moshe shows up. He says, look, I can turn a stick into a snake. You come from You come from God. And then, now this is my understanding that Pari goes and he brings his Khartoumim, his magicians, magicians, thank you. And um, he said, look, I'm going to show you that I could do the same thing. And what Pari, what the showdown is representing is that Pari is saying, okay, like I hear that there's this God of yours, but you should know that I come from a very, very lofty place there. And I have power, which is true, which was absolutely true. I have power, I do exist, and I come from a very, very lofty place. Look, I can do the same things that you can do. I have, like, I do have power. And that's what the Kleeper screams to us all the time. I have power. And the truth is that Kleeper does have power. But then what happened? The snake turned back into a stick. So that was the next thing that happened. After the magicians came, Aaron said, but look, now my stick turned back into a stick. So then what do the magicians do? Well, we have power too. Our snakes can turn it back into sticks too. So they turn their sticks back into sticks. And then what happened? The ultimate message, what happened then? Oh, wasn't that uh, Aron's snake ate the other snakes? Aaron's stick. Stick? Aaron's stick, stick ate their sticks, which is very interesting because it was Aaron took the stick, turned it into a snake. They said, oh, we could do the same thing, turn the sticks into snakes. Then Aaron said, yeah, but I could turn my stick, snake back into a stick, right? Again, this all has significance. It's not just this like kids, you know, flexing their muscles. So he turned it back into a snake, a stick. What does that represent? Yes, you have power. I could see you have power a snake exists, it has power, but at the end of the day, it turns back into a stick. All you really are is God. All all of your power and all of your abilities come from God. So it turned back into a a stick. You're sourced from a stick, you're sourced from God, you're going to end up at the end of the day back one with God. And then they said, well, we could do the same thing. They turned it back. And then Aaron's Sticks swallow their sticks, which is the idea of yeah. You have godliness, you have power. The magicians had power, and we see it throughout the whole story of all ten plagues that they were like trying to fight fight the plagues and to prove that they could do the same things that you know that they can also produce lice and they can also produce frogs. It was this constant showdown of like yes, you have power, and yes, it comes from God. We have power too, but at the end of the day, this ultimate beginning of the of. Our own stick, swallowing their sticks is the idea. Yes, you have power from God too, but our power from God, okay, is the ultimate true power. That's a source for all power. And that's why my stick is swallowing your stick. So this whole showdown at the end of the day was really about the fact that Para was saying, okay, Para didn't deny the existence of God, I think even once. He didn't say, I don't believe in your God. He, he, he didn't say, I don't believe that your God exists. He just said, I don't believe that your God is my God. Right? They called Hashem the God of gods. God has a place, but I'm a God too. And what do we say when we, what is the definition of a God? Something that created itself or that transcends time completely, that was never created. That's what a God is. So he's saying, okay, you have a God. Maybe he's more powerful. Fine who created himself, and I'm a God who created myself. So that's where this whole tension and showdown really comes from, and this is maybe one of the reasons why we needed so many plagues in order to actually shatter the clip of Egypt. The clip of Egypt was strong, it was powerful, and it had substance, it really did, it had, it had a voice. And Parah had a voice, and he really did have powers. And his magicians actually had powers. They were able to manipulate nature in a way that regular people cannot. And that they attributed to the power of Parah, not to the power of God. And that's what this whole thing was about. Yes, you have power. Yes, you can also turn sticks into snakes and snakes into sticks. But at the end of the day, my stick swallows your stick. Because my God is the source of your God. And that is what shatters the entire illusion of the clipper. So as we see here, page 23, know this means, shechazar b'china tatanin, the idea that the snake becomes nullified to become nullified to the Kedusha, he'elokis, the godly Kedusha, which is its ultimate source. That's what's represented by the snake then turning back into a stick. Your source of klipa is a stick, is God. And then it turns into klipa. But at the end of the day, it turns back into a stick. Because at the end of the day, we're going to show and prove with our presence here in Egypt that that's all that you really are, is God. And this is the whole idea of the elevation of the sparks of Toa, as we explained above, that fell into Egypt. That when we reveal the shell of the sparks to be nothing other than God, the illusion breaks and the sparks are able to be free. Baze heru lapare. And with this, they showed to Parai Ulam Yitzrayim, and to the whole Egypt, Asher Yesh Bifne that they are not an entity unto themselves that is separate from God. Kiim Rava, the Kolrega at every moment, Nimshach Lahem, it's drawn down to them, Hachayus Melakus, their life from God. But rather, this God is a God who conceals Himself. He's a God who hides Himself. Because there's a very valid claim to say, well, if God is sustaining me, then why don't I see it? And the answer is, God conceals Himself. He hides Himself so that Kripa could exist, so that we can actually choose God from a place of free choice. And if God wants... He can turn a snake into a stick, and he can make it as if the Klippas never existed at all. Because God transcends Klippa, God transcends Kdusha, God, Atma's essence, Hashem himself, is above all of this and the source and creator of all of it. Hashem wants Klippa to exist and therefore it exists. If he doesn't want it to exist, then it will not exist anymore. And that's the significance of the snake then turning back into a stick. The and similarly, the same way, the same process of what happened with this introductory kind of wonder and sign, of Sim. This was the case with all of the signs that came afterwards, many, many signs of the Ten markers, etc. Lios, in order that it should be the Yadu Mitzrayim Ki Ani Hashem, that. The Egyptians should know, or the Egyptians should break, right? The two explanations of a yadu, that I am Hashem Kanal, as we mentioned above. And so this was the message of the snake and the stick. And as Chassidus teaches us in other places, Mitzrayim is not just a place that existed a very long time ago, that was very immoral, that the Jews lived in, suffered in, and then left. But Mitzrayim is a place that exists within every single one of us. Mitzrayim comes from the word meitzarim. Mitzar means a boundary, it means a limit, and these limitations that we have within ourselves are represented by this Mitzrayim. The part of ourself that screams, I exist on my own, I do not need God, I do not come from God. Some For some people it's more subtle than others, sometimes the more subtle it is, the harder it is to destroy. Um, But there is a parai within every single one of us. There's an Egypt within every single one of us. And the way that we can break that is by revealing the truth. Is by revealing the truth. That everything is Hashem. And we, as we've discussed before, as Jews, don't need to be broken in order to reveal that truth. Because we have the truth within us. We just sometimes have to clear away some of the layers that are covering over that truth to reveal it. But at the end of the day, when we are able to acknowledge that Hashem is the source of everything, that we believe in Hashem. The klipa absolutely loses its power over us and the mitzrayim within us stops being a limitation so we're truly able to connect with Hashem. L'chaim, any questions or comments on this last part that we just said, which kind of brought it all back to the beginning? Um, I just want to clarify one thing. So, like, one of the big questions was why was the staff not considered one of the like 10 wonders and then so that actually wasn't one of the questions I mean, I was um, at some point. so so the two questions were one why a snake turning into a stick turning into a, a stick turning into a snake turning to stick why that god could have done anything right we know that moshe showed three signs to the jews one was a snake turning into a stick one was he putting his hand inside and coming out with leprosy, and the third, I think, was turning water to blood. So, why this? That was the first one, which we, which we answered, right? And then the second was, why was this, whatever, it's, whatever it represents, chosen to be the plague before, to be the sign before the ten plagues? So, so we never asked why it's not included in the ten plagues. The ten plagues were like a cosmic, not cosmic, but it was like the whole Egypt knew. Yeah. There was not an Egyptian in the entire land that didn't know what was going on. This was like a more of a private situation. Right. But it was like, was it important for Paro first to, to understand what was happening like the... Exactly. Of it, And yeah. then all the Egyptians yes. had to see it. Yes, because Paro represents the Klippa as like what we call Klalot in general. He was like the general Klippa of Egypt. Um, that include, the general includes all of the parts, includes every Egyptian and every part of the land and every belief Uh, so yes they first went to Pare. absolutely because he represented it like at its core and then it was shown to the entire if pare, which wouldn't have happened because hashem clearly said it's not gonna happen if Pare had said okay i believe you i acknowledge this the entire clip of egypt would have been broken right then but hashem purposely had it that that's not the case maybe because the clipo was so strong that it needed to be shaken up again and again and again in all these different ways and versions. Each one had its own unique message, but underlying every message of the plagues was this message that all of your life comes from God and it can be turned back into God in a moment. It's all up to his will. Um, um, What's the source of, the Egyptians like mag- magic or, or like miracle. Like, if it's, is it like an evil source? Or what type of, where do they get the power from if it's not like channeled through Hashem? Like, so it is channeled through Hashem, but it's channeled in such a way that it goes through so many descents and concealments that by the time it gets into the hands of the magicians of Parai, you can't clearly see that it's from Hashem. Okay. You look at it and it looks like they themselves are doing this thing. So, why would Hashem allow them to have such a thing? So that's because of free choice. That's so that we have free choice. Because if we woke up and the only power we ever saw was godly power, and we never saw any other power, then we would automatically go to God. And then we wouldn't have choice, and then it wouldn't have as much significance, and it wouldn't have as much substance. I don't know what the word is. So God, on purpose, gives power to things that look like they're not him, even though they are him, and even though the power comes from him. He does it on purpose, so that we can choose God. Because if, we, if there aren't options to choose from, there's no choice. And then we're forced, as we said, as we were talking about the Memshala. Mashala. Mashala is a dictator. God doesn't want to be a dictator. He wants to be a king that's chosen by the people. So this black magic thing, like, is it evil magic? Or... Yes. Yeah. It's evil. And we're told to absolutely stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Because even Hashem can descend to evil. Because Hashem transcends good and bad. He can be both. He can be good and he can be bad. So he's not all through love and good. Like he's... So in his source he is, but he has the potential for everything because he's infinite. Hmm. And so Hashem is good, but Hashem has allowed his goodness to go through so many processes to the point that it can look bad. So all the evils in the world is because of Hashem? Yes. That's kind of absurd to think that, I don't know, just feels wrong. <laughs> I I would think that it feels even more wrong to believe otherwise, <laughs> right? To believe that there there's one power that's, like, not God. That's that's denying the unity of God in the world, right? I mean, yeah, that's scary because that's more out of our control. But to know that all evil even is from God, it just knows that it's not just, you know, out of, what's it called? Like, completely free-arranging. It's, it's uh, controlled by God at the end. But, yeah. I guess mean, that's... Good in but still, still it's good, but it, it, has, it causes us to have lots of issues with God <laughs> because, because we can't say, well, that's not God, it's bad, because it is God. And then we have to demand from God that he take the evil away from the world, which is what Mashiach is. We can't become complacent to evil and just accepting of it, which is exactly what Moshe was doing in Egypt. He was saying, yes, this all comes from God, but we're not going to let it stay this way. We need to change it. We need to shake it up. We're not going to let the evil remain evil. We need to reveal the truth that everything is good and that everything is God. We don't just let it do its thing, right? That's not so easy. I can imagine how people went through very, very traumatic things in life. Like, how can they ever, like, move on beyond that and actually, like, comprehend that that was from God? Like, how can you serve It's a big question. (laughs) I mean, it it must be very difficult for them, I can imagine. Yeah. Why would God do that? Yeah, listen. We're, there's nowhere in the Torah that says you're not allowed to be angry at God. I mean, if you find a place that does, then you can show me. We're allowed to, dem- like, we're we're obligated to demand from God that He express Himself differently. Yes, it's you, but you don't you don't have to express yourself this way. and You don't have to cause the suffering. God can do whatever He wants, and that's actually up to us to demand that it looks different. The Rebbe told us that at this point, the only thing stopping Mashiach from coming is that we demand it. So, so. I know there's like... I'm really not like informed when it comes to trauma and grief and things, but there's like the five stages of grief and one of them is anger. Is that the first one maybe? No, denial. I don't know. Maybe denial and then anger. Anger. And that's like a healthy, valid... I'm saying... We don't say... Oh, it's God, so you're not allowed to be angry. Or, oh, it's God, so you're not allowed to demand that it be different. Because God at his ultimate truth is good and is revealed good. And so we're demanding from God that he should show his ultimate truth in this world. Right now we see God, but we see him in all of these ways that have been contracted and concealed. And we don't want that anymore. We want God in his ultimate goodness and in his ultimate truth. If I allow myself to be angry at God, isn't it very... Like for example, easy for me to start blaming God and everything, to seeing God as this enemy who's just there to like. Is that really healthy for it, my relationship with God? <laughs> so, it I. I... I do think that there's just like phases people need to move through I'm really again I'm really not like probably the right person to talk to also I've had like a very cushiony life until now, I'm still young, but <laughs> hopefully it stays that way. so I haven't grappled with these things like personally so much it might it might be helpful to talk to people who are more but but th- there is a valid place in my opinion for being angry at God and then passing through that phase it's you know there are some people who 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 left the Holocaust, absolutely just denying, the, like, if God, if, if God existed, this wouldn't have happened. And so they just absolutely left their Judaism behind, right? Um, and that's one response. And another response is to be angry, right? But you're still believing in God. You're being angry at God because you believe in him. In a way, maybe that's even preferable. Like, apathy, apathy towards God and being like, well, you can't exist if this happens, is more dangerous in a way than negative powerful feelings towards god because at least you be- believe in him if that makes sense and then we've got to pass through that right we-, we have to pass through those phases and that obviously would need to be with advice and help and things but but um it's definitely better than the alternative which is it was t- it's too bad to have been god it must be something else i don't believe in god i'm leaving this all behind that's much more dangerous <laughs> yeah any other questions or comments on this minor Good.